We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, Culture Editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, we're joined by Ben Lieberman. He's a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Ben, what is the website people can go to for CEI? Is it CEI.org? That's correct, CEI.org. CEI.org, where you can find a lot of the research we're going to be talking about on today's program. And just to start, uh, Ben, thank you so much for joining us, first of all. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. And I want to begin with your recent Wall Street Journal op-ed, a regulatory, a regulatory burden for every room of your house. The Biden administration moves to make appliances more expensive and less effective. Now, some of these issues have always been difficult for people to follow because there's so much that the media focuses on um, that, you, you know, aren't exactly this. This isn't the sexiest topic in the world, but it's an important one that does have immediate effects on people's everyday lives. And it's one I think has gotten completely lost in the discourse. So if you could outline a little bit for the listeners just what you talk about in this op-ed, that would be fantastic. Yeah, as you as you as you said, there's a lot of stuff that people would be concerned about, but they kind of, it kind of comes in under the radar. And one of them is this uh, effort by the Biden administration, and this is the Department of Energy, to set new rounds of energy or water or energy and water efficiency standards for just about everything that uses energy or water around the house. Now, by way of background, many of these appliances have already been subjected to three or four or five rounds of successively tighter standards over past decades. And I would argue that we're really reaching the point or past the point of uh, diminishing marginal returns. Uh, The problem with these appliance standards is they raise the upfront cost of appliances, sometimes enough that you don't necessarily earn back the higher cost in the form of energy and water savings over the life of the appliance. And in some cases, they also reduce product choice and product quality. And there's enough going on to be worried about at least one thing in just about every room of your house. Yeah, so you actually go through the rooms in the journal op-ed. You start with the kitchen, then you go to the bathroom, the laundry room, the basement, any air-conditioned room, the garage. Um, The list is long, and it's sort of stunning to go through all of this and realize that it's coming from mostly... Um, the bureaucracy. This is this is coming from the the behemoth regulatory um, you know giant that is the federal government here in Washington D.C. and is having all of these pretty major effects on things around the country and on people's lives around the country. Are there any that stand out to you as perhaps the most ridiculous on this this very long um, pun intended laundry list of uh, different rooms and different appliances? Well, I think the one that most consumers have noticed is that dishwashers take a lot longer than they used to to do the job. And that turns out to be the the result of a Department of Energy efficiency standard. And now uh, the Trump administration actually uh, had the Department of Energy take a look at making modifications to the standard so that we could, again, see models on the market that can do the job in an hour or less. But the Biden administration has put a stop to that effort. And as a matter of fact, is thinking about tightening the the standard so we may go from two-hour dishwashers to to three-hour dishwashers for for all we know. Again, um, I think the big problem is, and, 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 Obviously, legislators legislate and they 
give the agencies the uh, the the authority to, to handle the the details the the problem here is i think particularly that the the statutory provisions actually require the department of energy to revisit these efficiency standards every six years and consider tightening them now it's it's a lot harder to, to make them less stringent the the, the 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 statutes are written so uh, uh it's, it's much easier to make them more stringent and it's in the agency's self-interest uh, whether it's Department of Energy or any other agency, it's always in the agency's interest to never declare a problem fully solved because that uh, that undercuts the uh, the rationale for the, for the agency and for bigger agency budgets. So not surprisingly, Department of Energy never seems to be happy with the current standards. They always want to tighten them. And again, we, we're at the point where we've seen two or three or four or five rounds of, uh, of efficiency standards that are starting to have a, a, an adverse impact impact. Um, something else that, that that I would mention that's going on is uh, we may be seeing the end to the incandescent light bulb, which has been targeted for efficiency regulations. Now, granted, it is true incandescent light bulbs use more energy than LED bulbs, which uh, which are, are gaining very much in, in popularity. But I still think there's something to be said for consumer choice. Uh, those incandescent bulbs, they're cheaper, for example. And so for uh, light fixtures that are off 99.9% .9 of the time, the cheapest bulb is what makes the most sense. Also, I've uh, I, I, I've learned that uh, incandescent bulbs are better for dimming if you're, if you're interested in dimming. So I think the consumer is almost always best served by uh, having as many choices as, as possible. And, and an educated consumer can always pick the, the, the more energy efficient LED bulbs I don't see anything to be gained by essentially regulating the incandescent bulbs off the market and making LEDs the only game in town, which seems to be what the, uh, the, 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 the current uh, Department of Energy rulemaking would lead to. Right. And, you know, this is that really gets the heart of it is just even having the people, consumers having the freedom to make those decisions themselves and the, the companies having the decisions to having the freedom to make those decisions themselves. And I'm curious how much of this um, that we've seen in the Biden administration is a rollback of Trump era sort of regulatory rollbacks. So in in some sense, and I'm not sure what the scale is of this, but I know some of it at least is, um, how much of this is just Biden undoing some of the regulations the Trump administration, um, you know, made less stringent and how much of it is maybe new stuff? Well, I'm one of those people, if Donald Trump says two plus two equals five, I don't believe two plus two equals five, but there right. are people who, there are people who, who think that if Donald Trump says two plus two equals four, then then two plus two can't equal four. Um, and, and I think that's the problem here. I, I think he did some good things on regulatory reform and, and especially here with appliances, but I think there's this reflexive desire uh, 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 in, the, in the successor administration to want to undo uh, all of that for its own sake. Again, I think the, the, the consumer will always have the option of the more energy efficient or, or more environmentally friendly uh, uh, a product, but we don't necessarily want to force that choice on everyone, especially since it's more expensive and doesn't make sense for everyone. So I, I think Donald Trump really hit on something when he uh, 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 pushed back against some of these uh, regulations. And another thing he, 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 he did is he didn't um, 
he, he, for four years, we didn't have this onslaught of new regulations, which, which we now have uh, uh, under the Biden administration. The Biden team at DOE seems to want to make up for lost time. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we now have, even for problematic uh, uh, um, standards like dishwashers, is actually an effort underway to make it potentially uh, even more stringent. So I, I would focus less on uh, what Trump did, what Biden did, what Obama did. And I, I can say that at CEI, I've been working on appliance standards uh, and, and others at CEI have been working on appliance standards for uh, for 20 years. And we're focused on what's 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 good public policy, what's good regulatory policy. And, uh, and we're all consumers too. So we, we see things from that perspective as well. So uh, I, I, I would hope that that people would see this as as, as good policy, regardless of the uh, of the administration that it began under. Yeah, and there's, of course, what the Democratic Congress has been able to do under the Biden administration and what the Biden sort of administrative state and regulatory agencies have been able to do in the Biden administration. So again, like what, how much of this is coming from new legislation versus just, you know, the bureaucrats in D.C. Um, tinkering with their regulatory powers? This is taking existing uh, 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 regulatory power and uh, cranking it up a notch. One example of that is that although these these efficiency standards and and they date back to the 1975 Energy Policy and Conservation Act, which was long before anybody was was talking or or just about anybody was talking about climate change, but now the the Department of Energy and the Biden administration is using climate change as a rationale for tough for standards, you know, the argument being more efficient appliances will use a little bit less energy. That means fewer greenhouse gas emissions from from power plants. Uh, the you know the problem with that is it's, it's it's somewhat questionable whether whether the statute allows that as a consideration because there are provisions in the statute that put the interests of consumers uh, uh, first. And 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 I think I think it, it's problematic from a consumer standpoint that when you set standards for environmental reasons, I think by, by definition, you're not putting uh, 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 the, the interests of consumers above all else. And, and so we may end up with much tougher standards for environmental reasons than make sense for, uh, for, for homeowners. So uh, it's not new legislative authority, it's taking existing programs and, uh, and, 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 and adding a new uh, a climate or, or, or other rationale for, for, for existing uh, statutory authority. So, and that's another uh, interesting aspect of this because you've worked on these issues for a really long time in Congress yourself. Um, and I'm curious as to how that rationale, um, the, like the climate change rationale that is sort of hysterical now, and it, it continues to get more hysterical every year, sort of um, inexplicably so. It's, it's amazing how it can, can, the volume can continue to go up from 10 to 20 to 30. Um, but how have these rationale, on the, particularly on the part of the left, changed over the years and when it comes to the necessity of, you know, restricting the freedoms of consumers and, and companies in these cases? Well, um, there, there's always, as long as I've been dealing with these issues, there's always some externality that the environmentalists are concerned with, even before climate change was the externality, you know, um, it was uh, a power plant uh, uh, pollution, you know, ozone particulate matter, the smokestack e emissions. So there's always a reason why we need to crack down on appliance uh, um, 
energy use. So it, 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 it predates climate change, but as you measure, it's been amped up significantly because of climate change. Again, this is um, existing authority, I think a real stretch to uh, existing authority. It, it, it's not new authority, but uh, agencies uh, trying to get away with these things. And unfortunately, the, the record in the courts is, is, is not that good. Usually the courts defer, defer to, to agencies on these kinds of things. You can certainly imagine judges and clerks who don't know the first thing about the workings of water heaters or ovens or air conditioners and whatnot, and, and just prefer to defer to the agency when they say that, that, that this all makes good sense. Yeah. Um, and that's, it, it is really interesting because it speaks to, um, I think, a lot of the, the evolution um, on the left. And it's, I, there's a great line in your Wall Street Journal op-ed, I have it highlighted here, where you write, plenty of bureaucrats inside the government as well as activists and lobbyists outside it make a nice living from an endless regulatory process. And I want to ask you about the framing of this these policy debates even more broadly and that the the left and a lot of their sympathetic um, ideologues in the media um, will often act as though it's the the limited government conservatives who are in the you know they're in the pocket of the big corporations and are just doing their bidding but in a lot of cases these regulations are actually pushed for by <laughs> big corporations that you know want to hurt their competitors or do something for one reason or another so can you talk about that line and, and sort of how it's playing out um, with these these energy efficiency policies and these things that are affecting you know appliances right now. Yes, in addition to the self-interest of, of, of regulatory agencies to you know birds fly, fish swim, and regulators regulate, and it's in their interest to continue doing so and never to admit that we've regulated enough on any particular topic. There's also the uh, the rent seeking, the, the gaming of the system done by manufacturers. One of the things I've learned following the, these issues is there's always at least a few manufacturers who think that an efficiency standard will help them out and they lobby in favor of it. Maybe it's because they think they can comply more readily than, than competitors. Maybe it's they think that it, it skews the marketplace towards the more expensive uh, models. Uh, but there's a number of reasons why manufacturers often support um, the, these 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 appliance standards, the the light bulb standards, of course, were uh, were you know were, were were supported by the the companies that made the alternative light bulbs. There's a lot of that going on, and when they can find common cause with the environmental activist community over climate change and other issues, uh, that makes for a very very hard to beat combination in uh in in washington dc and that and that's why we have this uh if you want to call it an iron triangle or, or whatever you want to uh, call it of uh, the folks inside the government and the uh the activists and the for-profit entities outside the government uh and that's why we see i think um uh, efficiency standards that really don't make sense from a consumer standpoint and quite arguably go way beyond what the what the statutory provisions originally intended 
Well, listeners of this podcast know that my guilty pleasure is following celebrity trends, although I can't really say I feel that guilty about it. But recently I learned about an under-the-radar investment that some of the ultra-wealthy have been quietly funneling their money into for generations. And, of course, it really piqued my interest. Famous folks are known for touting their art collections, but you no longer have to be a coastal elite to invest in one of the oldest asset classes of all time because Masterworks is making adding art to your portfolio possible. Masterworks gives investors just like you access to the asset class that had low correlation to the S&P 500 over the past two decades. Masterworks even achieved a 32% and 31% net return for investors based on the sale of a Banksy and condo piece in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now you don't have to be a hedge fund manager to invest in multi-million dollar paintings from iconic artists like Picasso, Warhol, and Banksy. And Masterworks has results. They've sold two paintings that netted their inventors a 30% plus IRR in 2020 and 2021. Even better, our listeners here at Federalist Radio Hour get priority access to their newest offerings. Simply go to masterworks.art slash federalist to get started. That's masterworks.art slash federalist. Before deciding to invest, carefully review the important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Yeah. Are there corporations or, I mean, not even just particular corporations, but industries that sort of are uh, exploiting the environmentalist and maybe even the environmentalist lobbies, but the, the concern about environmentalism to push through some of these policies? Oh, there's unfortunately a number of examples. Uh, just one is uh, um, two big chemical producers, Honeywell and Chemours. Chemours is a, is a spinoff of DuPont. Um, both of them are very concerned about climate change, so much so that they lobbied to restrict a, uh, a chemical used as a refrigerant that the, the, they and others blamed as, as contributors to climate change. And as it turns out, both Honeywell and Camores own patents and are producing high price substitutes for these uh, chemicals that they that they have now uh, re restricted. So unfortunately, uh, and there, um, for example, the, uh, the the refrigerant that's used in most home air conditioners uh, is, is now um, being rationed and the price has shot up. And of course, the new refrigerants, which I mentioned are under patent, cost a great deal more. So here you have some some clear examples of companies using environmental concerns for their own advantage. So that's amazing. And that's where this like less than sexy topic becomes, I think, very compelling and interesting. Um, and it also raises this question of when a lot of people looked at the potentiality of a, a Trump presidency and, and maybe people were making up their, their minds about whether to vote for Donald Trump or not, people on the right, there's this question of whether the regulatory state is too big for any one Republican president to tackle, um, that there are, you know, that it is just too sprawling at this point to ever do anything about. Um, and therefore, it's sort of a lost cause. You just sort of have to work with the bureaucracy and make it work uh, for you. What do you think about that question is was and with the particular context of the Trump administration, was the Trump administration just in this area um, that you write about here? Was that were those four years in terms of uh, rolling back some regulatory overreach? 
really successful um or is this are we in a permanent sort of seesaw situation that whoever gets in um when you go back and forth between republican and democrat it's just basically a different set of regulations um that helps different interest groups well we're dealing with a a half century or so accumulation of regulations so only so much could be done in four years i think donald trump's instincts were absolutely spot on that there is uh there 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 is a deep state there is a swamp that needs to be drained he didn't have the inside the beltway uh knowledge to uh to to to, to know exactly where, how to go about it, at least at, at, at the start. So we probably had in four years, two years of really good deregulatory uh, uh, efforts there, but uh, but more needs to be done in that regard. And, and I would hope that 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 others uh, in, in Congress, and you know, we may see a, a a change in the leadership in the House or Senate in, in the next elections. But uh, even if that does happen, I hope we do have a focus on these these regulatory issues which are unfortunately because they're 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 seen as somewhat dull often don't get the the attention they deserve and and one of the reasons why i write about appliances is i think that it's 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 one area where the regulatory state and the damage that the regulatory state can do is being felt directly by uh, the American people, uh, so I think you know this is this is a good example. These appliance standards of of, of larger problems with the regulatory state. Yeah, and what would this is like an amazingly big question? But what are some of the solutions um, that are actually sort of plausible um, that say there there was a Republican president again, or a Democrat who had an interest in in rolling back the the regulatory overreach? Um, what would some solutions look like? Well, I think one thing that I, I really don't like about these appliance efficiency standards is that Congress gave Department of Energy the authority to set these standards, but also required that the agency revisit them every six years and consider tightening them. Well, you give that agency that kind of authority, they're going to do so. And so I think it's, you know, it. it, it it's particularly troublesome when Congress gives this open-ended authority to to an agency. So I think there's there's something to be said for um, Congress again reasserting its responsibility. And uh, for example, there've been there've been there've been bills like the Rains Act that would require Congress to affirmatively vote in favor of any major rules. So uh, it, it, they can't the Congress can't just can't just defer to the agency and then complain about the agency. That, that Congress has to step up and actually vote for uh, a major major rules. So I think there, there, there's things to be said for um, um, putting Congress back in charge. Now, of course, some in Congress don't want to be back in charge. They 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 they, they don't want to uh, they don't want to have to take that responsibility. But I think there's 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 much to be said for um, reining in the, uh, the the regulatory state. So, yeah, and, and you've, like I mentioned earlier, you, you've worked in Congress, and that uh, I think le- leads me to an important question about exactly what you just asked and that's or mentioned, and that's something that we um, have talked about on this podcast uh, several times um, in that, you know, there is this 
it, it seems like Congress does have less interest, and you can go back in, in history and talk about, as you said, at least the last half century of this regulatory growth that has sort of taken, uh, moved the ball to a different court. Um, and, and so I'm curious as to how you would say the that Congress has evolved in recent years, and Congress's sort of appetite to um, take back the reins. Is that different from when you were there? Is there anything that's particularly worrisome to you as you observe um, now from CEI? Um, it's one thing I, I notice in Congress, and the first thing you notice is that members have to deal with so many different issues they can't possibly know the details of any of them. So I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a big fan of getting back to the Constitution, getting back to the federal government, focusing on those issues handed to the federal government. Something else we haven't mentioned yet is, you know, things like like appliance and 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 energy issues. Some of that can better be handled at the state level. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think one of the things that that I learned on the Hill is just too damn much being dumped in the in the laps of uh, of Congress that they're, they're, they they can't handle it that well and that's why I I, I, I think we, 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 we need to get back to uh, 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 more more uh, more federalism more uh, focus on those things that Congress should be doing and not uh, telling us what what kind of light bulbs we should be buying. <laughs> right um, and, and in the journal op-ed you have a line that really stood out where you say, you're listing the bullet points of different rooms of the house and you say the garage your car's there need i say more um and what do you think we should expect from the biden administration when it comes to regulating uh vehicles um because it seems as though there's uh you know a good amount uh that they they plan to do or that they may be doing um what can people expect in terms of biden administration regulations uh with cars well, we'll see a whole host of carrots and sticks all geared towards moving away from gasoline and diesel powered internal combustion engines to electrification. Um, there's very generous tax credits in uh, in the Build Back Better bill that's being um, that's still being debated. Uh, there was many billions of dollars for uh, electric vehicle charging stations. Uh, in the uh, the infrastructure bill that was that that was passed, and at the same time, there's these carrots for uh, uh, electric vehicles. There's sticks in the form of uh, pending um, EPA um, Environmental Protection Agency and National Highway Traffic Safety Administration standards for um, efficiency of vehicles that would certainly raise the price of gasoline and diesel powered vehicles, especially the larger ones, pickup trucks and SUVs that are, that are, that are, that are very, very popular. So, so again, there's a whole host of measures. And uh, I, I, again, I'm a big fan of consumer choice. I know people who have electric cars. I know people who have hybrids um, and more power to them, but I don't think that the federal government has a role skewing the marketplace in that direction. And I certainly, as someone who doesn't have an electric car, feel that I should have to subsidize those who who, who who do. So I think, you know, in terms of vehicles, we're seeing a big push towards electrification. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's going to go on regardless of what consumers actually want, because they're they're, they're 
electric vehicles have their role, but I can see why most Americans are still interested in gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles and, and will continue to be unless, un, unless and until um, EVs can uh, improve and come down in price. So again, I'm a, I'm a fan of consumer choice, but we're moving away from consumer choice in vehicles, at least we are under this administration. Well, this is another great example of, uh, you know, corporate haunters that sort of latch on to these issues to uh, enrich themselves. And Elon Musk, um, somebody who has been very heavily subsidized, um, do you think the Biden administration, and, and Elon was a little upset actually about uh, one of the infrastructure bills, um, which only, I believe, only subsidized a union uh, made electric vehicles, electric vehicles that were made with union labor, um, which wouldn't include Tesla. How do you expect the the Tesla sort of Tesla's case in Washington to evolve in in coming years? Well, yeah, the different different uh, uh, car companies have have uh, have, have 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 different uh, uh, opinions about some of these provisions that would that have American made and American union made. Um, Provisions. So uh, another thing that uh, that that Elon Musk doesn't like is that as the law now stands, only the first two hundred thousand vehicles from each manufacturer of of electric vehicles uh, are are qualify for uh, tax credits. Well, Tesla has has because of their popularity have gone well past that, and so. Um, one thing that he wants or he might want is for uh, is for that cap to be lifted. And there, there are some discussions uh, about that. So, again, this is the kind of rent seeking that that goes on. Each company wants uh, provisions, including environmental provisions that are geared towards uh, helping them. And, you know, this is this is something that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see play out really almost every major vehicle maker has a slightly different uh, uh, um, um, status when it comes to uh, uh, electric cars versus gasoline power cars. A lot of them have made a big commitment to electric vehicles, and that's problematic because you know, the, the customer is always right is something that's not easily repealable. And so if customers still want or 80, 90% of them that they still want gasoline or diesel powered uh, vehicles, these Car companies who've made these this commitment to electrification, they're going to want to continue to lobby the government for um, for subsidies and, and even mandates so that they can sell these vehicles. So again, you know, we're 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 seeing manufacturers and environmentalists and uh, uh, regulators in Washington all moving towards something away from letting consumers choose for themselves. Yeah, and it's amazing because it's actually hard to blame, you know, some of those companies because the game is in full swing and you're entirely out of competition unless you you play the game. Um, and that brings us, I guess, full circle. And I'll, I'll just sort of end on this this question about the fact that you know once the once the federal government got into this game itself of picking winners and losers via subsidies, um, it seems like it's nearly an impossible kind of vicious cycle to to break. Um, are you as pessimistic as me, or do you see? Uh, that that maybe uh, there's there's an opportunity uh, down the road some way somehow to sort of chip away at this massive regulatory state um, that does keep us kind of trapped in that that cycle. Well, we did see some chipping away under the uh, Trump administration. I think we could see it uh, again, but you know you're you're right. Um, companies lobby for some subsidies, they get enriched by them, and they use some of that. 
the, those proceeds to hobby lo lo the higher lobbyists for 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 more subsidies, and we we see uh, some of these programs growing and growing. But again, at the end, consumers want certain light bulbs, they want certain dishwashers, they want certain uh, vehicles, and one would hope that that those people uh, will uh, will eventually. Uh, uh, prevail on their elected leaders remember all this all the stuff is being done on on our behalf uh, presumably and 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 uh, obviously that's that's not what's happening but maybe we'll see more educated uh consumers and voters uh, uh pushing for um the kind of government that 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 isn't so expansive. I I I, I can't disagree with your pessimism, but uh, I think these the, these issues are still worth fighting for. Yeah, no, absolutely, especially in the ways when when you consider everything you outlined uh, in this journal op-ed and, and here in our conversation and in all your work at CEI, um, the ways in which it is sort of immediately affecting uh, workers and families around the country. So Ben Lieberman, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. Of course. Now, Ben Lieberman is a senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. You can visit their website at cei.org. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the future. I heard the faint voice of reason.